Good afternoon. Uh, we are together again for our wonderful Friday afternoon Erev Shabbat uh, Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida, and the spiritual guide of the Emisphere program. Please be sure to ask about both if you're not very familiar. Today, as, as he does every week, the rabbi will be presenting the Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shir. This week, we, are be, we will be covering Parsha Shemos of a new book, the Book of Shemos. The topics will be the following. Organization is the key and a collective mindset of brotherhood development. This month is dedicated by Sylvia Levy and family in commemoration of the 10th site of her beloved father, Yitzhak ben Moshe. Isaac Sterenthal, Zichrona Libracha, may his memory be a blessing, lived a life full of purpose and unrelenting optimism. He was very responsible, firm, honest, and loyal. You could always count on his support and his word. Isaac's love of family and his quiet acts of kindness were transcendental. His family has been deeply inspired by his example and are forever transformed by his abundant blessings. This week's class is also dedicated to the memory of beloved father of Dr. Joel Finkelstein, Eliezer Ben Yaakov Yosef Halevi. Uh, if you would like to listen to this year again, a recording will be posted. There are also podcasts that are posted and pre-recorded. If you would like to be added to the email list, as well as be notified on this WhatsApp, kindly DM me your email address or email me your email address. I will post my, my email on the chat. Uh, without further ado, Rabbi Kiva Zweig and Parsha Shemos. Thank you very much, Rabbi Yehuda. It's always a real nachas and highlight of my week to be uh, sharing Torah with all of you and listening to everyone's uh, questions, comments, and other points after the shiur. As Aaron Yehuda mentioned, we are beginning Sefer Shemos. The topic is organization is the key and developing the collective brotherhood of our people. So I think a good place to start is that we know that we have to take all the words of the Torah very seriously. Uh, before I get more into the parsha, let me just uh, uh, mention and acknowledge um, Dr. Finkelstein and the recent passing of his father. I had the privilege to spend time with him last night. Thank God he is doing well, uh, sharing a lot about his family and um, about the vision that his father had uh, to really promote in their family uh, Judaism and love for the Jewish people. So it makes sense that we're talking about these topics today. And definitely we wish that his father's neshama should have an aliyah. So the Torah in the first seven sentences of our parsha seems to pretty much tell us nothing new. We know that the names of the tribes are Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Natali, and Asher. Yosef is in Egypt. We know that 70 souls came down with Yaakov to Egypt. We know that the Jews proliferated in Mitzrayim, even if maybe we're talking about a further increase. It doesn't really smack us as something very new. So the question is, what is the Torah doing in this opening paragraph? Now, of course, every inch of real estate in the Torah has to be very important. But especially, I think, I think it's arguable that this is especially important when you're starting a new book. You know, when you compare Bereshis and the whole concepts of tohu, vavohu, light and darkness, and the seven days of creation to the first seven sentences of our parsha, it feels pretty underwhelming. So what's important to notice is that the new information that is definitely not yet known in the Torah is that not only Yosef died, but his brothers died and that entire generation. And so the question is, what is the significance of that new information? And if that's the whole point, so then why not just have one sentence that says that in addition to Yosef dying, his brothers and that entire generation died as well. Why do we have all these seven sentences of repeated information. Now, when we move to the second paragraph, the Torah opens with the famous sentence of a new king arose over Egypt that did not know Yosef, and he said to his nation, Behold, I'm Bnei Israel, 
Rav v'atzum mimenu. Behold, this nation, the Jewish people, are more numerous and mighty than we are. Rav v'atzum mimenu. Now, to me, that is pretty concerning. Any time that a host nation recognizes that a nation that is a nation of immigrants, a nation that is different than the nation of origin, anytime that the nation of origin recognizes that a new population has surpassed the original population, both in numbers and in might, that's certainly a disconcerting fact. So we understand why Pyro is concerned about that, and we understand why he wants to address that. In today's world, I don't know how many of you have seen the Harvard uh, kind of graph of demographics for the percentage of Muslims in uh, you know new nations, and basically they say that once the percentage of Muslims in a nation hits the five percent, five percent mark, that that's uh, something to be extremely concerned with in terms of you know things that we know already are going on in other countries of the world. And here we have the king of Egypt saying. Behold, the Jewish people are now more numerous and mighty than we are. So now if I told you that based on that sentence, Pyro says, look, guys, we have to figure out what to do about these people and let's enslave them. We would understand, even though we would like to believe, um, excellent uh, statistics, Joseph, even though we would like to believe that the... Um, you know, the Jewish people are not a threat, right? Because we definitely know our, our own people and we would like to suggest that our, our nation will not overtake the host nation. We don't have these nefarious global designs of, of conquest, uh, even in our own country that we live, right? Nonetheless, we could understand that power is unhappy and presenting a problem that needs, sorry to use the term, a solution. But... The problem is that instead of Pyro turning around and saying, hey, look, guys, the Jewish people are more numerous and mighty than we are. Let's outsmart him. Let's enslave him. Instead, Pyro puts in two more words. He says, let's outsmart this nation, pen year bet, lest he will increase. Now, now, why is that? Lest he will increase. He already said that the Jewish people are more numerous and mighty than the Egyptian nation. So why does Pyro now say, by the way, guys, this is going to be a problem in the future, if God forbid, so to speak, if it happens that the Jewish people will increase, then they will be a problem. What do you mean? They're already a problem. They're already more numerous and mighty than his own nation. It would be one thing if you said that they're just more numerous, but are you saying that they're more mighty? Atsum, the word atsum in the Torah is a very powerful word, no pun intended, because it means powerful. So if it's true that they're already more numerous and powerful, why is he saying lest he will increase? He could also say lest he will become more powerful, lest he become more wealthy, lest he, et cetera. Why does Paro introduce the fact of the concept the strategizing to enslave the Jewish people with a pen, lest perhaps it will become a problem, so to speak. We don't want that if he will increase. Look, seemingly, it's a problem right now, and Pyro should therefore suggest his solution without stating lest he will increase. In addition to that, the really, to me, it's like kind of surprising that Pyro almost admits that the Jewish people are not really inherently a problem. They're only a problem if another nation will come to attack. Why is that? If they're more numerous and mighty, let's go, people. It's game time. Let's take over. We're more numerous. We're more mighty. We're increasing even more. Whatever that means, let's take over. Why does Pyro suggest that the concern that the Egyptian people should have is only if the enemies of the Egyptian people are now coming to attack them. What does that have to do with anything? In fact, I would think if the Jewish people are more numerous and mighty, let's take over before anybody else comes and takes over. We want to be the ones in charge. Why does Pyro present that it's only an issue, number one, if the Jewish people increase even more than they already are 
which is already concerning. And number two, they're going to be a problem if someone comes and attacks. It's hard to, to understand why Paro phrases the thing in the context of somebody else coming to attack, that that's his major concern. So am I being clear? Should I, should I uh, try to clarify further? Okay, great. So I'd like to begin by explaining what I think is the major introduction point to the book of Shemos here at, um, in these seven sentences. And really, it's something that, you know, we've lived through in our lifetimes. We've all lived through this. Uh, the older ones, even a little bit more than the younger ones. And that is that what the Torah is really telling us about the Jewish people in Egypt is that they came to Egypt, and not only that they came to Egypt, but that they became a part of Egypt. That's actually what happened. The Jewish people did not remain the distinct entity that Yosef had set them up originally to be in the land of Goshen with kind of a separate charter as a people. All of that separation is gone. So um, some of you might have seen a five-minute video that was being sent out today. This is a bit of a different answer than what I said in that five-minute video. And so Dr. Horowitz is correctly pointing out that, hey, look, the fact is that we know the rabbis tell us that in what merit did the Jewish people go out of Egypt, that they did not change their clothing, their names, and their language. Yeah, there were cultural differences. Like some of us today speak Hebrew, some of us today speak Yiddish, some of us today, you know, still have Jewish names. But for all practical living purposes and integration into society, the Jewish people were becoming like the rest of the Egyptian population. Most pointedly is that the rabbis never said the Jewish people did not change their moral compass, their definition of who was a male and who was a female. The Jewish people did not change the definition of, you know what? maybe it is okay to call for the genocide of some people. No, they didn't change. They changed all of that. That's really what the Torah is telling us. The Jewish people really did change. And the reason that they changed is because they did not follow the names, the identity of the Jewish people of Yosef and the rest of the brothers. But Paro says, despite the fact that the Jewish people are assimilating, they nonetheless know that they are not the same as the rest of us. And it's true that right now they're not thinking about attacking us. In fact, they're not even thinking in terms of their own nationhood. Because if they would be thinking in terms of their own nationhood, they would be figuring out ways to increase. They would be strategizing their own population development. And that is not happening yet. But underneath the, so to speak, assimilation of the Jewish people is the fact that they are different, they feel different, and we know, most importantly, we know that they're different. So says Paro, it's true, today, the Jewish people are more numerous and mighty than we are, and they are a nation. Hine. That's a very important word in the Torah. Hine am b'nei Israel. The word hine always means a call to attention. Behold, here it is in front of you. I want you to focus on this. The Jewish people are a nation. They're more numerous and mighty than we are. They might not even realize it themselves. And you know something? The Jewish people today do not realize themselves the power that they could potentially wield. And you know why? Because even though we know we're different, we refuse to get organized like a unified entity, a nation that is focused on our population increase, on what we, the Jewish people, need to do in the world with a very clarified mission statement for the Jews in America, the Jews across the globe, the Jews and in Israel. We need all of us Jews to get organized about what we are doing, what is our mission, 
how are we accomplishing it? Because if we do, there's no question that the sky is the limit and we can fulfill the mission for which Hashem created us, which of course is something that authoritarians and dictators do not want for us to achieve. So Paro incredibly correctly and almost prophetically is able to paint the picture of who the Jewish people are before they are able to become that. And so therefore Paro says, listen, you guys got to understand something. The Jewish people are more numerous and mighty than we are, which means they could do a lot of damage. But they don't know that. And as it stands right now, they will not do a lot of damage. But you know what could happen? They could have a brain change that says, wait a second, we Jewish people are pretty numerous. We're pretty mighty. How do we make sure that we get hold of ourselves to make sure that we're strategizing for our future and for our goals and our mission? That's what pen year ben means. Lest he will increase means lest he will act as a single entity. That's why it doesn't say pen year boo, pen year be, lest he will increase as though it's a plan of trying to increase as opposed to, hey, they just were multiplying all over the place. And if they do that, that means they are organizing their nationhood with practical outcomes. They can develop a mission. And even though today they may not be thinking of, oh, let's take over Egypt. Certainly if anybody else decides to take over Egypt, oh, you know what? That's actually a good idea. You know, we could actually do that too. And therefore, the concern of Paro is lest the Jewish people will get organized and prompted by other people to take us over. That's exactly what Paro is saying. Now, the sad truth from that statement is that the Jewish people are woefully, and I mean woefully, unaware of who they are. They think of themselves as Egyptians, just like we Jews think of ourselves as Americans. And we can't understand why is it that, you know, uh, it's calling for the genocide. If any nationality or minority is completely anathema and unacceptable, but calling for the genocide of Jews, well, that's okay. Because we see ourselves as Americans. We don't see ourselves as different, even though everyone else sees ourselves as different. Pyro is saying they are unaware of who they are. And he is right. Because as much as they might have been called Yankel or Yosef or whatever, they didn't change their names. As much as they might have been wearing clothes and eating gefilte fish and chicken soup occasionally, uh, especially if they were sick. They're not Jews, they're Americans. And so Paro is telling his nation that now is the time to strike because the Jewish people are unorganized and they're unprepared. And you can take advantage of them and sucker them into slavery when they don't know what's going on. One of the things that Dr. Finkelstein shared with me last night is that he was recently asked to address a whole bunch of Jewish college students. And what he said to them is, I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry, people. You have been lied to. The colleges said, yeah, you, you Jewish students are like any other American or minority, that we respect them just for being a human being and being a part of our system. Yeah, you're, you're like everyone else. Until that actually gets called into question, then no, you're not like everyone else. And you know what? You better need to hire your own security guards because we can't protect you. That's what the Chabad rabbi in Harvard was told. That's what many Jewish students were told. Stay inside the library because, you know, or the uh, stay inside your quarters because we can't protect you when these people are protesting, etc. That's what you call a woefully unprepared nation. Not knowing that this is actually the truth of the people on the ground and how you're going to be treated. So Dr. Nielsen says, I'm sorry people have lied to you. The truth is that they're at war with us. And we have to know that, which means... We have to get prepared. We have to organize. We have to do the year bet. What is going to be with the next generation of Jews? I want to ask you all here on this call a question. 
advance 15 or 20 years, are we going to have the same level of commitment from our 18 and 20 year olds to fight in our IDF? To give up their lives for the sake of being Jewish? Do we have that internal sense of our own identity? I think the answer is no. And I'm pretty sure that that is disastrous if the answer is no. That is disastrous for Jews everywhere. And so we actually have to learn from Paro <clears throat> what to do, which is exactly what he's afraid that we're going to do is we are going to get organized and team up and figure out how can we help more than 5% of Jews across America attend Jewish Day School, which is a topic I raised at Henry Manicherry's house already two years ago in Los Angeles, or a year and a half. How can we make sure that that happens? Now, I have one idea, and I don't know who's on board, but I seriously, I spoke to Dr. Finkelstein about this recently, I seriously want to do this, gather 30 activated, passionate Jews that have either organizations or influence or money or people who can do work and people who can think and figure out how to work together so that we can bump that number up at least 10 or 15%. At least. Let's at least get to the 20% that we know left Egypt. Let's at least start with that. Can we figure out a way to do that? Whether it's incentive programs, it's tuition cuts, it's starting new schools. I don't know how to do it. I know I don't know how to do it, but I know the call to action to getting organized is probably the most important thing that we can do today as a people. Now we've tried even in this class to have some discussions around this subject in the past. I'm just pointing out that from our Parsha, it's crystal clear that that's what needs to happen. So I therefore put in front of all of you, if you wanna to put together a list of 20 or 30 names, and think about who would go to a conference, a three-day conference, whether it's here in Pennsylvania, where we have a facility to do that, or somewhere else in the country where we'll be happy to travel. Great. And I think we should do that. And I think the first topic we should address is how to increase the population of Jews in America into Jewish day schools at a much higher percentage. But in addition to that, let's go to the next part of the parsha, in which we find one of the few successful brotherhood partnerships in the Torah without strife, Moshe and Aharon. We very rarely in the Torah have the choosing of one brother over another and then find that they work together as a team long-term. Even Ephraim and Manasseh, where by all accounts, Menashe is not jealous of Ephraim, and it seems like you know everything is fine and good in terms of Menashe accepting Ephraim as primary, we don't really know of their partnership and their working together. Yes, that's the blessing we give all of our children, but we don't really know firsthand how they partner up and what they do as a team. And in fact, sometimes we find that they seem to be doing separate things. So... My point is that Moshe and Aharon function together in a brotherhood team in a way that's almost unimaginable with zero issues with one another. Moshe becomes who he becomes, Aaron becomes who he becomes, but even before that, Aharon, the older brother, is willing to be seen almost like Moshe's lackey, his interpreter, you know, like, you know, Moshe, you know, has to carry so that, I'm sorry, Aaron has to sort of carry his bags with him. Moshe is the main prophet. He's the one delivering, this is what God said. And Aaron, you know, is kind of interpreting it or making it uh, more palatable to the listeners. And the reason I think that Parsha Shemos ends with that concept of the teamwork between Moshe and Aaron is because that is what the Parsha also begins with. At the end of the day, Yosef and the brothers argued and it was a horrible situation that they sold Yosef, but they came back together and they lived together as a nation as we've spoken about. And that did create the building blocks of our people, but it also didn't last. We have to be honest. The Jewish people in Egypt became essentially idolaters. That's what the rabbis tell us. 
and the identity of Yosef was forgotten and the partnership and whatever the generation of that brotherhood was trying to accomplish was lost. And that's why that sentence is so critical. Yosef and his brothers and that entire generation died because whatever they were building actually did not last. Hence, a new king arose over Egypt where even the Jewish people themselves don't know who they are, don't know their own power, don't know what they need to do in order to be the nation that they can be. But when the Torah decides to teach us about how redemption happens, it makes it very clear that Aharon, your brother, will go greet you and he will see you and he will rejoice in his heart over your appointment and the mission that you and he now are going to fulfill together. So therefore, a step two, and it's so important, and I'll give you some examples just, uh, you know, that we can hopefully all, you know, really relate to and probably happen to a lot of us. The step two that's really important is that we have to stop seeing each other as competition. We are working together. Now, I know that's easy to say and hard to implement. And just today I was on a call with Reverend Akdeman specifically related to this point about people who are working in different charitable organizations, working with each other to help each other get people connected and you know, friend raising and fundraising and putting aside the issue of where the money is going to go. Not so easy to do, but that's what Moshe and Aaron do. And so if we're really going to get organized, if we're really going to think about, okay, people, how do we get these, you know, Jews into the day school? We have to stop thinking about, okay, how am I going to get money for this? And only think about, okay, how are we going to succeed in this mission? What's it going to take for me? Not what am I going to get out of it? Now, I, I believe me, I, I live the problem. I know the problem. You know, we need the money not because we're trying to get rich. We need the money so that we can survive. But we have to put that problem to the side and leave that up to Hashem. We just have to do our part and Hashem has to do his part and we have to be happy with the result. And so the brotherhood commitment that we need to have for each other is to stop looking at how I am going to get what I need and it has to change to how are we going to do for the Jewish people what the Jewish people need. And when we do that, God willing, Hashem provides the answers and we get the results that we need, even though sometimes it's not going to necessarily work out for us so well. Let me give you an example. Moshe is not the Kohen Gadol. He is not the high priest. Even though in theory he could have been. Okay, that means Moshe Rabbeinu's children are not Kohanim and Aaron's children are Kohanim. That's just the way it is. And we're okay with that. And we need to be okay with that, just like our brothers are okay with buying for our national security. That's what's happening. Our brothers are okay with their children dying for our national security. That is what's happening. And that's a tremendous merit, of course, for the Jewish people. And therefore, the Torah is telling us, we have to get organized, and we have to be willing to sacrifice for each other. And if we can do that, then hopefully we can bring the Mashiach, for which we are all pining, because ultimately, that will be what the world needs to know that Hashem is real. All of the Jewish people getting organized and the Jewish people sacrificing for one another is not so that the Jewish people can have a secure state to call their own. I'm sorry if I'm, uh, you know, rustling any feathers here. The goal is not so that Jewish people have peace and security. The goal is so that everybody knows human beings only serve Hashem which is why the Parsha concludes not with let my people be free, let my people go, like the Ten Commandments movie. It's let my people go and serve God.
temporarily, by the way. It's not free. Let them just go and serve God. It wasn't even an ask for the Jewish people to stop being slaves. That has to be our call. Let humanity serve God, not serve their selfish temptations, not serve the God that is money, not serve their need for all material good things and you know desires being fulfilled. Let all human beings serve God. Because if all human beings serve God, human beings will be fulfilled, there will be kindness with each other, and everything will be good for all time. Okay, questions or comments? Henry, so nice to have you. I wrote something, Rabbi, you saw Ah, I didn't see it yet, sorry. Uh, let me see. I see when you give the blessing, you say it's just because they take the pride in Manasseh, not like Moshe and Aharon. It looks like they were very special brothers, and not that they have been every father every Friday night, whenever there's a brother. There's definitely a very special connection there, and not like Moshe and Aharon, but not that we would have said to him, I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So Rabidal is asking that um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pointing out that it seems like Moshe and Aaron were able to achieve something that Ephraim and Menashe did not necessarily achieve. So Rabidal is saying, so why do we say, bless our children like Ephraim and Menashe, not like Moshe and Aaron? And I think one of the reasons for that is because of the status bump that they achieved. And so it, it deserves a lot more elaboration, but basically the fact that Ephraim and Menashe are able to become Shvatim, in addition to the fact of how they were able to get along with each other, I think that's a critical factor because it tells of the Jewish people's potential that every Jew can be a tribe. And a tribe is basically a global influence. Uh, that's what we've explained in the past, and that when a Jew fulfills their potential, they really can change the world. So that's why I think we uh, do it. Yes, Henry, please. Uh, you're on mute, Henry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Perfect. You mentioned... Uh... Uh, towards the end of your talk about Jews who have forgotten who they are and, you know, where they come from and kind of where they're headed. And, uh, you know, here, at least in L.A., we we live with this on a daily basis. And what, 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 what do I mean by that? You see that most uh, liberal Jews are on the left, and that's the same crowd that's uh, voting a certain way and uh, having these, you know, crazy ideologies, uh, particularly in the, in the, in the, in the, you know, in the Hollywood circles, that they're so far on the left, and there's majority Jews. And they are assimilating, exactly like you said. Most of them, more than 60% of them are married to go in. And lately, some of them have woken up because of what's happened. Uh, but there is still many, many, many others who just refuse to, to see uh the truth and uh you know uh don't want to get into politics but it's a fact but it's important to mention that that still the vast majority of jews in this country who are not religious or not from are voting democratic and you know leaning more and more to the left because they just don't want to go you know let that go so if that is what's happening with the majority of the jews how are we ever going to save these people Yes, that's an excellent question. And uh, look, even in Mitzrayim, there, we weren't a, able to save a lot of the Jews. But nonetheless, uh, and I think that the past failure shouldn't be the indicator of future failures either, right? Just like <laughs> past uh, successes should, right? So I think we, 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 your question is right on point. So here's my, my, um, my thought about it. And I have, yes, been thinking about that. It seems to me that um, in general, part of what's happened in this country and this is not only about Jews, it's about Americans. Uh, it's that we have become so out of touch with reality 
and we forget like even just the importance of the importance of normal so to speak democratic freedoms and like I, I i i come across this all the time uh recently i was speaking to a woman from russia whose father when she was 15 years old uh, was taken away and killed by the kgb they emigrated to this country they immig immigrated to this country from immigrated from russia and immigrated here and they became successful and their children are both extremely left to the point that they either can't talk to their children, or they can't talk politics to their children. And so you think about that background, it's like their children would almost be happy to be communists, uh, but uh, the parents suffered through communism to the literal point of their grandfather being taken away and shot at age 15, meaning that the mother was age 15. So, the, the point that I want to make about this is not just to agree with you that it's a horrible problem, but that just like some Jews have woken up because they are a little bit more aware of the existential threat to Jews and thinking about, well, maybe Israel is the only place to go, which is what many Jews have started thinking. The more that Jews will suffer, the more Jews will wake up. Now, that's not what I wish for. None of us wishes for that. But when that does happen, when it hits them in the head at home, they're fired from their job because they're Jewish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's when it will become more possible for them. So what do we do in the meantime? Do we, you know, dive into Hashem that those Jews should suffer? No, right? That's not the right approach. What we do is we make ourselves a lot more appealing and attractive by being, A, the role models of what Jews should be which is the true liberals of the world when liberalism started, which is fighting for rights of other people, right? Like many Jews have done, but without compromising our moral integrity, right? That means that we cannot say that that which the world has accepted as true is true. It's not true. And so the more that we are steadfast, but are kind and uh, available to be talked to and to put our messages out there, as Jews suffer their own difficulties, they're gonna start looking for more truth. And we can't be shy about what's true, but we also can't be mean about what's true. And we should be inviting and um, hugging and um, blessing and you know encouraging Jews to feel the love of the brotherhood of Judaism. This past week, I was actually asked to do a 30, a 15 second spot uh, by Eric Meadow for his son's special commando unit, Maglan. And our message was, we love you. We owe you everything because you are putting on the, your lives on the line for us. And in the merit of Jews loving Jews, Hashem should save all our people. That's kind of the message that we need to give all Jews. Let's put aside, you know, all the rhetoric. Let's just talk about Jews fighting for Jews, Jews sacrificing for Jews, caring for each other. And the more Jews suffer, they're going to turn to look for family, which is, by the way, Henry, the same thing happens in, in, in individual lives, right? Just like in a person's family, they might reject their family. Then they come on some hard times and they begin to realize, oh, maybe my parents or my brother, maybe they actually really do care about me. And I, and I had a you know, mistaken perspective. Rabbi, please note that uh, 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 Dr. Patterson has his hand raised. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so I think we're good, Henry, with that? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Perfect. Dr. Patterson. Sorry, I interrupt. I just didn't know. Yeah, no, good, good. Uh, thank you. Thank you, as always. Uh, you've, uh, you've raised quite a number of issues today. <laughs> um, yes, so the Jews are perceived as a, a, a people of, with power, but where their power doesn't lie in arms. It lies in Hashem. And being Hashem's witnesses, that's what undermines Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't know who Hashem, who's that? Hashem, who's that? Pharaoh thinks he's Hashem, so to say, right? He's God. And here are the Jews telling him, you're not God. God's might is in the skies, as it's written. Uh, Ram Benisa. Uh, power is not the only reality. There's holiness, there's goodness, there's the ethical demand. Um, and the goal, if you say the goal 
our goal as as uh, enlightened to the nations, which you know our first big foray into the nations is into Egypt, right? Uh, it's to, as you say, it's it's to reveal to the world through our example that Hashem is real, and I think this has to come when we stop buying into the Egyptian dream. We come out of Egypt continuously. To this night, we are coming out of Egypt. We are in Egypt to the extent that we buy into the, the illusion and the promises of the Egyptians. Like uh, Dr. Finkelstein said, you're being lied to. And it's maddening to me how Jews trade their Torah and imitate the ways of those who become their murderers. It makes me insane. And underlying this this view of the Jew, no. even okay. even with the, the the promise of assimilation, is the view that Jews cannot assimilate. They can't assimilate. The Judaism, uh, Alfred Rosenberg, the the Nazi ideologue, said this: the Judaism is in the blood. Every Jew will test Judaism positive, whether he's a believer or not whether he acts like it or not. Uh, you, you can't take the Judaism out of the Jew. So... Uh, Sorry, let me just... Um, I'm just going to uh, put everyone on mute again because there's... And then Dr. Patterson, just unmute and finish, please. Are you finished? One more sentence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. Yes, and it's it's when the, I think the Jewish people have to somehow wake up from the Egyptian dream that they bought into, so to say, like Jacob waking up. Hashem was here all along, and I didn't know it. And it's not just something that we come to when we've suffered enough. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a rejoicing in Judaism. It's a simchat, simchat Torah which I have another lecture on what yeah. that means and, 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 you know, what October 7th was about. And just one last thing. I don't know. Uh, if, we, if we turn to Jewish day schools, we got to keep our eyes open there too, in my experience, because you can't assume anything about what's happening in the day schools. Anyway, yeah. that's all. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, 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 no doubt. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All very, very important uh, feedback and uh, insight. 100%. Um, just about your point about uh, recognizing, not power, not recognizing Hashem. There's a fascinating Midrash that says that when Yosef uh, died and a new king arose over Egypt that did not know Yosef, it's a parable to a man who attempts to kill a king. This is the parable. And then they capture the man and then they let him go when they realize that it was actually the twin of the of the man uh, to kill the king. And so the point really that the Midrash is saying is that Yosef was God's twin. And when he forgot Yosef, he forgot the king. Yeah, just to go to your, I just wanted to mention that about your point. Uh, I think we have another raised hand. Dr. Horowitz, did you raise your hand? Uh, yes, I probably figured out how to hit the how to hit a raise hand button on my thing. And as usual, when uh, Dr. Patterson talks, it kind of, it kind of puts me through. Uh, it, it, it's um, we um, we're stuck here. We, we mean Jews in general. That on one hand, the thing uh, we're not many Jews are not comfortable in this nation where we're not supposed to be particularist until recently we uh we are uncomfortable being you know the you know the chosen people people don't like it we're the chosen people we're uncomfortable with it I'm talking we you know all just not not us but uh in general uh but yet uh and that's part, part of a mission it's too stark I'll go to the side and just say I see the Jewish mission as we're all uh all men are uh, so 
Jews are the ones who are supposed to show the world how to be sentimental king. And by uh, practicing Judaism, practicing Hashem's mitzvahs, we get ourselves in the mindset of doing that. Okay, that, that having been said, I think the whole world really uh, looks to the Jews to see what we are doing. A lot of the things that we're seeing happening have been uh, promoted by Jews. We have the Jewish heart and the Jewish outlook. We're trying to, but we, the Jews in general, are trying to do it uh, without having Torah enter it. And what you and what you're ending up with is let my people go without serving Hashem or Bilu without Bior Hashem or uh, Tikkun Olam without the Malchus Shakai. You know, so our our brothers are on the right. They, they have the right idea, but they're trying to stay away from a. They're they're not comfortable with the Torah particularism, which we have to get that comfortable. The world follows us. And when we when we show them, I mean, there wouldn't be any char any charitability or things like or, or, or moving forward in relationships with people without Jewish ideas in there or Torah ideas. And um, I think, but what happens is that we do without Torah ideas, everybody picks it up and turns it on its head. So all of a sudden, um, the the people whom we've helped or encouraged are finding reasons to turn on us. So I think the, the thing to get people into, you know, they get more Jews there to realize that you can't, you, you have the right idea, but you can't do it without Torah in there. <clears throat> yeah. Um, look, there, there's a lot of, of truth to, you know, a lot of, you know, what I understood you to say. It's not so easy, um, but I think it is inspiring to think about the fact that Jews have really led the way for the world in so many ways. Uh, and your second point is that we have to do that the right way or else we can get off track. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking of Karl Marx. Well, not just off track. We bring the, <laughs> we bring the world against us. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, you uh, know Marx wrote a parishant to Hillen, a dust capital. capital. <laughs> What's it called? Das Kapitel. Das Kapitel. <laughs> um, Aaron Yehuda? Or I, couldn't help, I couldn't help it. Yeah, yes. no worries. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you, Rabbi. Uh, on your, your, your point about the brothers, and even if you look at just the theme of Shemos, as you've uh, taught in previous years, I think it's very important for us, and we don't have this today, of people understanding that you can have a role and you have to accept your role and play to your strength and there has to be a hierarchy in assigning those roles and people have to accept what they are joyfully because it is in some way uh, the design of Hashem. That's why we had tribes. That's why people had different names. That's why different, even among the Levium, they had different assignments. Moshe and Aaron, uh, split responsibilities, which was hard to do, Ephraim and Manasseh somehow, as you as you indicated. But what we have today is like the old joke about the the uh, the, the, the Jewish crew team. That uh, you know you have you have ten ten people who there are conscripts ca calling the, calling the rowing, and you have one guy rowing. So so uh, I don't know how we can get back to this <laughs> business of people accepting their role. And accepting that there is a hierarchy and that it's okay not to be the boss and not to be a leading figure. But in my experience in day schools and, and, and more recently with working with agencies and federation over many years and so on, uh, I find that there's, there's a real difficulty in lay leadership, understanding what they're supposed to do in professionals understanding what they're supposed to do and all of them working together and knowing their roles. And just that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think part of that would be in really deferring to religious authorities having kavod harav. And, and, and even if you're not sure or you're second guessing things, we can't be like the examples of, of Rubain and their revolt and 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 uh, Korach and his revolt. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and do your part as as you understand it, and and maybe then things will fall into place. Just like the soldiers 
are doing their part yeah. and taking that responsibility. We have to know what our responsibilities and pick it up. And I think you made some terrific suggestions on how to do that. Maybe we can have a, a dedicated session on, on actually implementing that through our various contacts and, and relationships. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And and your points were great. I just want to respond to, to you know, maybe a systemic a huge issue, and that was also indicated in the parsha. <clears throat> You're basically asking, how can we get back to people accepting uh, that they're not king, right? How can we get back to everybody and being happy and not only happy, but passionate about the role that they do have? And I think the answer that I'm seeing from the Torah in many places, but especially even in our parsha, is, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but it depends a lot on making a husband-wife relationship the partnership that it needs to be. In other words, a husband and wife, they need to do the team effort that Amram and Yocheved do in this parsha, where they themselves are only players in their role, not in their own names. The Torah doesn't say Amram. The Torah doesn't say Yocheved. It's a man from the house of Levi. It's the daughter of Levi. It's living up to ancestral values. And then they produce children that are just world class and who all of whom accept their own role, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. So to me, it has a tremendous amount to do with the fabric of the marriage and the parenting that evolves because of that marriage. Okay, everyone. So great to be you with see, you. You said the yes, right sir. thing because you see Korach's wife put her into trouble and only yeah. Pelos by could not. So right. you said something that's perfect. Right. So I said that right. behind the proper household is the child. Chachmas Nashim Ban Sebesa Isha Ivelas. Why do you think you have such a good tune, Debbie Shabbos, huh? Okay. All right. Good Shabbos, everyone. They, they add to him also. Yes. They add to him also. Haman's wife, Haman's wife, the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's further down. Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos. 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 Shabbos.